following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. The picture became quite popular two years ago. It was a picture of a, a painting, rather, of these huge sweeping waves, almost kind of looking like a starry night. Van Gogh kind of had those types of swooshes to it, the, the waves, and there was a bunch of different boats on that picture. It was talked about by Oprah on her podcast, Dolly Parton, George Kieta. There's tons of others that blogged. I think it even made it into the Washington Post. And of all the people who talked about it, what they really wanted to talk about was the tagline that had everything to do with the way they perceived the world two years ago. Do you remember two years ago? What was going on just a couple years ago? Huh. It's this little minor so the tagline was, we're all in the same boat, but some of us are in larger yachts and sailboats, and others are, of us are in smaller boats, or something like that. So remember back then when we were all kind of going through what we were going through, and there was a lot of togetherness talk, a, a lot of commonality that was being built between people, because while we're staying at hope and home, and while we're apart, while there's all this separation that's happening, while people are experiencing economic ruin, and strife in families, and relationship, and sickness, and all sorts of other things, well, every other sort of other things, then there was this blessing that was kind of spoken out towards everyone. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it was an, an effort to build togetherness. That while you're going through something that is hard, that English idiom, you're in the same boat, was kind of helpful. That at least whatever challenge you are experiencing, whatever strife you are facing, you are not alone. And that's helpful. That's helpful whether you're going through a pandemic. That's helpful whether or not you have a cold tomorrow. That's helpful whether or not you're facing some sort of challenge in two weeks from now. It's helpful to know that you're not alone, that there's somebody who's in that boat with you. But then came the commentary with all those other boats. We're all in the same boat. It's just that some people are in mega yachts, giant sailboats, and others are in like dinghies. That's what we used to call it back on the West Coast, when you got one of those little ones that doesn't look like it's supposed to make it past the breaker. And so what is that a commentary about? Oh, we've seen that, haven't we? And now looking back in hindsight, shouldn't we be able to see that all the more, that especially when people are going through all sorts of challenges, then leave it to one person to kind of put their finger on the nerve of another thing that presents challenges. And what is that? It is that, look at all the inequality around us. And whether you perceive the inequality to be economic, or relational, or social, or cultural, or racial, or all of those, or other things, and some of those, and maybe none of those things, that's not the point. The point is, leave it to someone to highlight something else about this world. That although we might have been, and we certainly were, and we still are going through various challenges, and we are not alone, look around you in the world. And I think what that commentator was after is to say, don't be fooled. There are all these other inequalities that are going on, and I think they had some in mind that they wanted to talk about. Whatever those inequalities might be, I'm not here to talk about, nor would I encourage you to try to solve on your own. Because I think what it highlights is a greater and more pervasive and problematic reality, and it is this. When you find yourself in the same boat, not just with one another as believers, 
When you find yourself in the same boat with a whole host of humanity out there, should you, should you really look for the world to recognize whatever inequality you think should be addressed? And then, even if that is addressed, then we find ourselves in a better reality? Is that how it goes? Or maybe you look out in the world and you see that storms never play favorites. Your own personal experiences have taught you that. And therefore, maybe we shouldn't look to the world for answers at all. In fact, if we're all in this same boat, then maybe the diagnosis of what this boat is and the challenges that we all face are a whole lot more deeply seated than just a couple areas that might fall under some headings in a newspaper or that some talking head might produce on a podcast. Rather, Jesus wants you to ask a better question than just recognizing who's in your boat with you or what other inequalities out there make your boat a little bit more challenged than others. No, 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 no. Who do you really need in your boat? The question is not whether or not you're in a boat. In a sea that is full of storms and struggles, in a life that does not play favorites with you, and whether you're strong enough or whether you're not, whether it's a great time or whether it's a bad moment, that's not the question. The question is, no matter where you are, no matter who is with you, should you be looking to those people and looking to this world, or, or might the better question be, who do you really need in your boat, no matter what? It was a very pivotal moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. I would argue this is the first massive pivotal moment because Jesus just got done feeding 5,000 men, not counting their families, from a boy's lunch. Five loaves, two fish, feeding of the 5,000 it's called. That's just counting the men. Thousands upon thousands more. Food multiplied. And how did he do this? Well, Keep in mind that there were several other pretender Messiah wannabes who came before Jesus. If you read the history books, there were several who promised to provide political power and advantage, freedom from the Roman oppression, and even economic boosting, if only they would be recognized as the Messiah. Several pretenders came along, even claiming to have performed miracles. So Jesus comes along, and all of a sudden, he feeds everyone, and this isn't a pretender miracle. This is absolutely legit, and with thousands of people following him, even going around the lake to find him this time, this could be a moment where he would gain an advantage. They would make him the bread king that they wanted to make him. If you read John chapter 6, that's what they wanted. And yet, was Jesus after political prestige? Was he after power and wealth? Was he after the things that would maybe help out with all of the various inequalities of the world then and maybe even the world today? The very first word in our reading is what? Immediately. Immediately he puts the disciples in that boat because that is not what the Son of Man came to do, who came to seek and to save what was lost, not to create power and prestige for himself through monetary or political gain. Immediately he puts the disciples in the boat and the trajectory of Jesus' ministry is very clear. It is not going to be one where he is after all of the worldly things, but he is after only the eternal things for his disciples, for the world. And yes, that even includes you and me 2,000 years later. So he sends the disciples and he goes up to pray and he dismisses the crowd. It is not for political power that he came. He dismisses them and he goes up to pray. And the disciples, they had some veterans on board. You got Peter, James, and John. I mean, these guys were fishermen on that lake, the Sea of Galilee. They knew that place like the back of their hand. 
And so here they are, and there's a storm. There's storms that can really whip up on that lake. There's these highlands to the west, and if something comes in off of the Mediterranean Sea, it tends to drop in and stir that thing up like a bathtub with four two-year-olds in it. <laughs> and that's kind of the word. They're, they're being barraged. They're harassed, and they're helpless, and, and they're straining at the oars. So here they are. You know what it's like? Have you ever, well, maybe you don't know what it's like, but have you ever tried to row upstream? You ever been in a rowboat or maybe a kayak? It's more Ashevillian. <sighs> have you ever been in a boat where you're at the helm and you got that lever forward, reverse, and you have to, you're uh, maybe on the ocean and the current kicks up. You got to kind of like push the lever down a little bit more and listen to the little engine that could kind of have to get going a little bit. They're, they're rowing. It's kind of like a one step forward, two steps back kind of moment. And so they're straining at the oars, all of them together. And, and what do you have? You have this beautiful picture of humanity. And by beautiful, I'm being so sarcastic. You have this picture of humanity which all you can do is white-knuckle it with the things that are in your hands and under your control and rely upon your strength and the strength of the people around you to do what? To strain against a storm. How is that going for the disciples? The words pop off the page. They're straining at the oars. I mean, you think like borderline catching a hernia while they're trying to pull weight, and it's doing absolutely nothing as they're caught in the middle of this lake. And being caught in the middle where the chop is probably the worst, that's not, that's not conducive for any solution in sight. And so we find ourselves. And we're all in the same boat, right? Sure we are. We're all in the same boat of a world that is lost in sin and confusion, and all we can really do is trust more in one another or in what our favorite pundits are telling us? Or, or we can listen to all of the narratives that have been pr produced, and by the way, there's about five million that have been produced just in the last week, and, and of all those narratives, the more we lean into those things, then we're actually going to be able to strive hard enough and think more and then overcome, and then we're going to make a better reality for ourselves. Or, or... Is all of that just a bunch of false hopes for people that really are stuck in the same reality, straining at the oars together? Because look at where we are today as a culture, as a society, as a people on planet Earth compared to where we were two years ago, eight years ago, 20 years ago. Do we have this whole thing figured out when you look at the world around you, when you turn on the news or scroll through the doom scrolling of social media? Is, is it really that this, this is becoming better we're overcoming the storms of this world. Or maybe, just maybe, even with the pandemic behind us, knock on wood, that maybe it's not any better because there's still one fundamental problem, and that is broken, sinful human beings stuck in the same boat of this world together. And so what's the solution? Trying harder? Being stronger? No, you know what the solution is? The solution is to listen more to the fears around us. Jesus sees them. And he walks out on the lake. And is it not ironic that they look and they're screaming? It's like this corporate girl scream I kind of hear, ah, as they see, ironically, the only one who is the solution to all of their fears and their Savior, and yet they're terrified of him because they think he's a ghost. Such irony. They think he's a ghost. And how crazy is that, right? Isn't it so crazy that there would be people, we can even pick on them, their masculinity for a moment. You're a full-grown man and you are in a boat, and you are rowing across a lake, and all of you are screaming like you are five-year-old children that there's a ghost walking out on the water? Are you kidding me? 
Like, doesn't it sound crazy also that one of them would start screaming? Shouldn't this be the time where Peter's like, dude, stop it. <laughs> like, someone needs to adult in the boat, right? But no. And it sounds crazy, right? Like, you have these guys that are just screaming together. Is it so crazy, though, when you think about how, like a chain reaction, one person starts to propose one type of fear, and then like an infectious disease, it infects a couple more. And then that fear doesn't tend to go away as it reaches other people. And then before you know it, you have a whole host of people, whatever the object of your fear is, is immaterial. That's not the point. Whether it's something related to your psychological well-being, your spiritual well-being, your physical well-being, the well-being of this world, this country, your family, your community, doesn't matter what it is, is it not crazy that the more people listen to one another and the fears that we have, it turns into this crazy echo chamber where people start to be afraid of things that seem to be reason for fear but are not real. Ghosts are not real. Children, children, your mom and dad have said this to you, ghosts aren't real. Ghosts are not real. Adults, ghosts are not real. Angels and demons are real. They are very real. If you doubt that, I would invite you to come and have a conversation with me sometime about stories that I've heard and people that I've talked to in even my own experiences, and I can be, when I'm at my worst, a very jaded and skeptical person, and I will talk to you, and then you assess after that if you actually still believe they're not real. Angels and demons are real, and as we heard in our Old Testament lesson, those who are with us, the angels, are more than anything against us, so we don't have reason to fear. They're real. Ghosts are not real. And yet the disciples are screaming because they see something that's not real and they promulgate this fear among one another so much so that they're screaming about it and they're even afraid that Jesus is the reason for fear. Lest we criticize them so heavily, look at some of the things we not only believe from the world around us, but even tend to share with the people near to us. Fears that really look like fears with our eyes and yet, what does God want us to do? Why does Jesus walk beside the boat? Doesn't that look a little weird to you? Wouldn't it be that Jesus probably should have surfed as quickly as he could right up and into the boat just to kind of kibosh this whole crazy moment? He walks beside the boat. Is it because he's testing their faith? Is it because he does plan to walk by and then they will finally, inevitably get there and he can say, hey, was it worth all the fear? Is it because he wants to see exactly what it is that is going to come out of their mouths as they start screaming about a ghost? We don't know. And finally, those hypotheses are just that, hypotheses. But what we do know is he's right there beside the boat because he wants to get close to them in order to erase their fears. And he does the same for you. So what is it that you could possibly be afraid of? What are the things that you have been listening to, the things that you have been looking to, not just looking at, but looking to for confidence, for strength? Is it the people around you? And yet look at the world, look at your workplace, look at your family, look at our country, look at society, look at the talking heads, look for just a little bit and are those things really worth looking upon and trusting f to make your world better? Or does it just lead you to cry out in fear, maybe not over a ghost, but of something that is not real? Yeah, we're all in the same boat. So then what? Isn't it interesting when people say that we're in the same boat? What is the, okay, then what's the solution to that? Like, you're, let's say you got the flu and I got the flu and we're texting one another, oh yeah, it stinks to be sick, but we're in the same boat. Okay. 
cool, now what? There's no solution to that. And that's why you and I have a Savior who doesn't just walk past and leave us behind when we're stuck in whatever reality of fear it is. And, it, and we all face it. You all raised your hand before. He aims to come right by our boat so that you get to the second immediately. As soon as he hears their screams and he's standing right there immediately, what is the one thing that your Savior wants to do? The same thing that he does for these disciples. Immediately, he speaks to them and he says, take courage. In other words, there is a confidence that you have in the middle of this suffering. This idea of courage doesn't mean you just take courage in the middle of nothingness. No, it implies that there is struggle. Take courage and confidence in this moment of fear. And then he said, it is I. You can't help but think of the God who says, I am. Whether Jesus intended it or not, with Bible reading ears and eyes, we cannot help but think of the one who causes a, a bush to burn but not burn up. The one who says to Abraham, I am your shield, your very great reward. The one who says to you, I am your good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. The one who says, I am the vine, remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The one who says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. This is the one who speaks his words of comfort to disciples who have no other answer for their fears. And he says, don't be afraid to them, and he says it to you too. So I don't know what your latest fear was, and I don't know what your most frequent fear or worry today might be. It might be something related to physical health, an appointment that is upcoming, a diagnosis that you are awaiting. It might be for you and it might be for a loved one. It might be something related to your family. Kids are starting back up at school and that always makes parents so happy and filled with confidence in every way. Or there's some fear. Children, you might be worried about your classmates and your friends especially if you find yourself in a new setting, a new classroom, a new circumstance. As some of you look at your kids or some of you might look at your parents and there's plenty of things to worry about and all of those things you don't have, you don't have a lot of control over. I mean, we, sure, we wish that there was so much that we could just grab and strain on like, like oars in our fingers, but white-knuckling it doesn't take control of things that only God has in his omnipotent hands. And listening to all of the echo chamber around us, it doesn't lead us to a greater reality. And so your Savior speaks to you. And what does he say to you? When you find yourself in a world that is literally out of control, he says words like this to you. John 16, verse 33. John 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, the exact same word as take courage. Take heart, I have overcome this world. And he's done that for you. Amid the fears and worries that you have about yourself, he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The inadequacies that you see as you try to carry out all of your callings as spouse, as parent, as child, as student, as employee or employer, you look to your Savior and what does your God say to you? Do not be afraid. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. And he did that for you in your baptism. He says, you are mine. What do you have to be afraid of with a God who declares not just words, but he declares an eternal reality regardless of what we see or don't see? Take courage. It's him. It's Jesus. We need him in our boat. We need him in our boat. More than we need the strength that we can muster up, more than we rely on all of our wisdom, 
more than we trust in the, the greatest people around us. We need Jesus in our boat. We don't need more political talk in our boat. We don't need more economic worry in our boat. That, that's the boat we're already in. We don't need more people to compound our fears and make them worse so that we st start crying out something that is equal in value to, it's a ghost. We don't need that. We already have that in this great boat in a lost world. We need Jesus in our boat. And you know, right after he says, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid, he does just that. He hops right in. And he does the same for you. Even when you look at a world and you think that you're all alone, the struggles that you face are like a storm, and it just keeps on putting you farther and farther behind. Jesus has always been there. He doesn't call you to see that with your eyeballs, but to trust in that with your faith, the faith that he gave you. Don't be afraid. It's him. Take courage. So they get to where they're going, and the disciples hop out, and you know that in that entire last paragraph, Jesus is not really the subject of any of the sentences. Did you notice that? Everyone else knows that they need and everyone else needs Jesus in their boat. And so everyone else goes and gets everyone they know who is sick. And it doesn't matter if Jesus is in the middle of nowhere or if he's in the latest downtown square of the nearest town. Everyone is getting anyone who is sick or hurting or whatever. And even if they touch the corner of his cloak, they are healed. And everyone knows it. Such a stir throughout the region. They know, they know that everyone else needs Jesus in their boat. And so they go and get everyone to bring those people to Jesus. And that's what ministry is all about. On this last Sunday in this series, we have covered God's design, which has the eternal destination in mind. You are here because you know that you need Jesus in your boat. He's the only one that forgives your sins and calms your soul and comforts your heart and strengthens your faith. He feeds you with eternal blessings that can only come from above, and then he doesn't just have you here so you can check in for an hour and then check out. Ministry is not only about God's service to us. It is about our service to the world. So who is it in your life who needs Jesus in their boat? Who is it who is only lost, white-knuckling at the oars of their life? Who is it who has a storm and they have no solution in sight? They need Jesus in their boat, just like you need Jesus in your boat. And when you have him in your boat, and you do, then no matter what you face, you can live out, not on the basis of what you see, but on the basis of what you believe in your heart, exactly what Jesus says. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. God grant that to us all. Amen. Amen.